Ten Sports in the September 21st, 2023 episode. We're live, heading into week four. We've got a lot to cover. It's elimination week. Got a lot of games in the SEC. There's full potential elimination games. I mean, if we're being honest, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Columbia, South Carolina, College Station, Texas, all have potential elimination games heading into week four, guys. That's what we love about the sport. I know we're expanding the playoffs. I'm not getting into that conversation. This is why summer's still for the 14 playoff, because every week matters, as obviously you do, or you wouldn't be watching the show. But what could we potentially be saying? I mean, let's fast forward to Monday, Sunday night, maybe even Saturday night. What are we saying after week four? Is, is Alabama out of the playoff race before the month of September is even over? That would that that would be strange. I mean, there's a there's a generation of people that wouldn't even know what that looks like. It's true. There's a true Gen Z would not know what Alabama being out of the playoff race in September would even look like. Doesn't have a clue. That being said, if that happens, is Ole Miss an SEC West contender at that point? 1-0 in conference, maybe 4-0. LSU coming to town to Oxford the next week. Yeah, I mean, you'd be looking at an SEC West showdown. Granted, both teams would still, LSU and Ole Miss, both have six conference games left after that. Yeah, six conference games left after that. So a whole lot to play for. But again, tiebreakers would come down. You probably have college game day, maybe in Oxford. There's a lot on the line in Tuscaloosa between that one. But even skipping forward, how about Texas A&M? Can they get back on track after the loss to Miami? I wasn't as down as people were on Texas A&M about that. But the offense looked good. Obviously, protection's got to improve. Secondary's got to be able to tackle in space. Uh, but here, here, here's A&M and Jimbo Fisher's second opportunity to go make a statement. At 11 a.m., most SEC fans will be following that game. People want to see what Hugh Freeze and undefeated Auburn are rolling into College Station. Traditionally, Auburn, I think, at least under Gus Malzahn, only lost – no, Gus Malzahn never lost in College Station. I mean, I think Auburn's only lost once ever in College Station. It was their last visit in 21 with Brian Harson. Before that, Auburn had never lost in College Station. Never lost in College Station. Again, some of those stats, they don't really have anything to do with the kid, with the guys on the current team. But with that being said, well, what are we saying? If goes out and looks impressive, what are we saying? Miami, I still think Miami's a little better than what people think. I like what Shannon Dawson has done with Tyler Van Dyke, simplified the offense. I don't think AM's as bad as they looked against Miami. And they didn't look bad at times. It just kind of got away from them. The defensive secondary just couldn't uh, make tackles, allowed a really athletic Miami bunch, just kind of get the game away from AM in the fourth quarter. But again, AM has a chance to redeem themselves this week. But what about Auburn? If you freezing them won this game, this would be massive. It would turn into a legit potential 8-9-1 season if they go do that. I'm not saying it is. We'll get to those predictions in here in a minute. That's kind of what's on the line this week. South Carolina going to Columbia. They get Mississippi State coming to town. Two teams coming off losses. Both kind of probably feeling a little different about their losses. I thought South Carolina pretty solid against Georgia. Had a great first half plan. Georgia answered in the second half like championship programs do. Mississippi State had LSU come to town to start going embarrassed them. Like, stole their lunch money, stuffed them in the locker room, embarrassed them. Uh, So how do they bounce back? Zach Garnett, first-year head coach, how does he bounce back, bringing his team to a hostile environment like Williams-Brice Stadium on Saturday? How does he get his team ready, get them off the mat after taking a knockout blow to LSU? Um, How how does that happen? Both those teams need that win. I think South Carolina needs it a little more just with their upcoming schedule with Tennessee and Florida coming up after Mississippi State at home. South Carolina needs that. But if South Carolina goes and looks good as Mississippi State, we're kind of like, huh? They may be having it go. They may be 
uh, getting it together. But those are just some thoughts heading into, I'm going to call it an elimination week. Week four, I mean, I think most agree probably unanimously this is the best week of college football that we've had so far. Last week had some surprises, as I said. But this week, even not even the SEC, but nationally. I mean, just all overall, you got Colorado at Oregon. you got Ohio State at Notre Dame. There's a lot of big games, a lot of elimination games. That's why it's elimination week. But again, getting away from that, we're obviously going to give you the week four SEC predictions. It's also making money Thursday. You know what that means? We had, a, we had a solid week. We got back on track. Wasn't what we wanted, but we got the train right back on the track. I promise you, stick with us. Week four, we should put some damage. We, we should start piling some money in that tra- in that fund you put away this week. This is the week. Again, statement week, elimination week. This is the week we kind of start separating ourselves for the rest, 75% of the rest of the season. So this is what we kind of start doing here. But first, it's an issue. So I wanted to hit it in first. We're not going to do around the SEC because I want to get to our predictions, Money Making Thursday, and I also want to talk about this segment after doing some research. But I just wanted to go over why I think Alabama's offensive line has fallen off, has teetered off, whatever word you want to use, after the 2021 season. To me, Look, Alabama fans are long for the day of the 2012 offensive line, guys like DJ Fluker, Barrett Jones, Chance Warmack, guys like that. The 2015 offensive line, uh, Ross Piercebacher, Cam Robinson, Ryan Kelly, guys like that. They were really coming on at the end of the year. The 2020 line, I mean, Evan Neal, Landon Dickerson, guys like that. Those are lines I think Alabama fans who have followed the program for a long time come to realize and understand. Um, it's tough to expect that level of offensive line on a consistent play. Those were elite offensive lines. And honestly, you could probably find some Alabama fans that would give away their first child just to have the 2014 or 17 offensive line. Now, 17 won the national championship, 14 made the playoffs. But for Alabama standards, those were not great offensive lines. Uh, but if you follow college football regularly and you watch this show regularly, you know that Alabama struggled up front on the offensive line to live up to the standard that has been set specifically this year. And even really – since 21, really since 2020, after the 2020 national championship season, from 21, 22, and into this season, it used to be the Bama MO. It used to be the MO of the team back when Nick Saban was really getting this thing going, really building the foundation of the program. And even after, really, like I said, until the past two years, but why has it been so average? It's even bad since the 2021, since the 2020 season at the start of 2021 season. Well, I think there's two reasons to that. I think missed evaluations on high school prospects and lack of continuity from the offensive line coach's standpoint, which leaks into development. Since 2020, Alabama's had three different offensive line coaches, Kyle Flood, Doug Maroney, and Eric Wolford. It's three guys since the 2020 season. I mean, you're averaging a different offensive line coach every year right now. That's three different coaches with three different opinions, all having different backgrounds in what they want in that offensive line position at the tackles, guards, and centers. But people will people are like, well, Dave, Nick Saban decides who they're taking. That While that is 100% true, it's also we're all human. So these guys are going to be looking for – and from my experience in college football, offensive line coaches are the most nitpicky guys. They all Every offensive line coach I wanted had different non-negotiables. And when I mean non-negotiables, I mean like one trait that – they won't recruit the kid unless they see it, like initial twitch off the ball. Or can he get his second foot in the ground and get to the second level and block that will that will inside linebacker? Um, 
Does he finish? Does he come out of his hips? Does he unlock his hips on contact? Stuff like that. It's all different. I promise. I've never worked in my nine years of working at college when the offensive line coach wanted the same. Texas A&M's offensive line coach, Jim Turner, who was the Bengals head offensive line coach, he liked big heads. We used to measure heads. Like we used to get hat sizes on kids. He thought that translated into like just a bigger body, which, I mean, I guess there's some truth to that, but I'm just giving an example there. But just the initial, just the lack of continuity at the offensive line position. And Kyle Flood went to Texas to be the assistant head coach. So I get that move. Doug Maroney is the offensive line coach for the New Orleans Saints right now. was more of an NFL guy, didn't like recruiting. And now we got Eric Wolfer, came over from Kentucky. He's been at South Carolina. This is his second full season. There's a lot of missed evals between between there. And it's not all three of those guys' fault. That's just what happens when you don't have continuity in a room. Like, think about Arkansas's defensive line we talked about in the offseason. It's one of their better offensive lines in a while, but they did not have any continuity for a while. Coaches, it's a revolving door for coaches, revolving door for players in and out of the portal. It's kind of what's been happening for Alabama. I'm about to show you the, st the stats. But then I think the key here, and it goes back to the revolving door of the three offensive line coaches, just the lash, lack of initial missed evaluations starting back with a 2019 class. Let me get into it right here. Share my screen with you. All right. Just want to roll through this. If you can see my screen. So this is the 2019 class. We're going to go through the 2020. We're going to go all the way to the 2022 class. Evan Neal, obviously a hit. Obviously hit first round pick, I think sixth overall to the New York Giants. That's a hit. And how I grade guys, guys, this is the grading skill I've been used to going through college football is it's rare, all league, winnable plus, winnable, winnable minus. If you're not winnable or above, you should not be playing at the University of Alabama. Sounds harsh, but it is what it is. There's a couple guys in Alabama starting on their offensive line right now that we'll get to. They're in this class, uh, in the class after the 2020 class, that are winnable minus guys. What I mean by that, let me define that. Winnable minus is a guy that you can win with, but he's got to be surrounded by a bunch of winnable plus all-league rare guys. You're not going to win just because of him is a good way to put it. Winnable plus, that's one of your better players on the team. That's majority of what your guys are going to be. All-league kind of speaks for itself. I would rate Evan Neal an all-league guy. Then you got your rare. You got your rare guys as well. thought Evan Neal was an all-league guy kind of on the – uh, surface level of being a rare guy. But again, Alabama hit on him. Evan Neal, they hit on him. Let's go down to here. Pierce Quick. I believe right now he is at, I think he tra he transferred out to Georgia Tech. I think he's coaching now. Never was just kind of a reserve guy. Never really did much for Alabama. So I'd say that was a miss right there. Just calling a spade a spade there. That was a miss. That was a miss. Remember, the 2019 class, these would be the seniors right now in Alabama's offensive line. It's a miss. Keep going down. Amari Kite, offensive tackle from Thompson. He's currently at UCF. He transferred. He was just a rotational guy at Alabama. Got a few snaps in mop-up mop duty. That's a miss. That's a miss. Keeping score at home for us right here. So we got Evan Neal is our only winnable or our uh, all-league right now. Evan Neal. As we're rolling through the 2019 class, remember, these are the upperclassmen seniors. Keep rolling through the other offensive linemen. Darian Dalcourt. This is one of the guys I was just talking about. Let's add him to the list. He's a winnable minus guy. You don't win because of Darian. Nothing personal against Darian Dalcourt. Great kid. 
bet him a couple times during the recruiting process. He's a winnable minus guy. He should not be – Alabama's doing their job in the personnel recruiting department, filtering that up through analyst, offensive line coach, coordinator, and all the way up to Coach Nick Saban. Darren Gout Dalcourt should not sneak through there. Should not sneak through that. I mean, he's a little undersized, 6'2 and a half, 300. Alabama's size requirements have kind of been all over the place. For the longest time, dude, I'm telling you, from 2009 to like 2018, they had a carbon copy of what they wanted off the line. They've gone away from that for whatever reason. I can't tell you why there. But Darren Dalcourt, it's a winnable minus guy. He starts for him at right guard, but he struggles. It's not really what they want to be playing with. They're kind of just having to play with him. Um, rolling through here, Tanner Bowles. He's in Kentucky right now. He's a reserve guy. Didn't play much at Alabama. Went back home from Glasgow, Kentucky. He's the seventh guy off the bench for Kentucky. It's another miss right there. Uh, and then we're getting – and then Landon Dickerson. And let me preface this. The transfers Alabama's brought in since the 2019 class have been major hits. I mean, we'll get to it in a minute. Don't want to ruin it. But the 2022 class, they, tie, they signed Tyler Steen, who started at tackle for him, the transfer from Vanderbilt. He was on the team last year. But Landon Dickerson, two-year starter, uh, was a draft pick, starts center for the Philadelphia Eagles. Big, big hit. That was a big hit. A transfer from Florida State, big hit. Uh, so really, that, that was it out of the – I would really say the only hit on two of the kids they had in that class, and that's not even count I – mean, we're talking about a transfer here. I mean, really, the guy I would say they hit on, Landon Dickerson, Evan Neal, and whatever you want to evaluate with – uh, our guy, Darren, get out down court. Well, I consider that a miss. From an Alabama standard, it's all relative, guys. If this guy's starting at Ole Miss, he's awesome. No offense, I know they're playing this week, and Ole Miss, that, that's a, we'll get into it in a prediction standpoint in a minute. That's a coin flip game to me. But I'm just saying, Darren Dowcourt should not be playing at the University of Alabama. And if his parents are listening tonight, I apologize, but we keep it real on this show. We're not worried about feelings. We're facts over feelings on this show. He's not up to the Alabama standard. So there you go. Really, I would say two guys, three maybe, that have been hits. And both all league, Landon Dickerson and Evan Neal. And again, I'm telling you, Alabama on their transfers hit. But let's move to the 2020 class. All right, moving down. Go remember, offensive linemen, we're going through the Alabama offensive line to tell you why they have missed. It's been They've had three coaches in about three years go through their evaluations have been all over the place, uh, missed evaluations, guys transferring out. We're going to keep rolling through here. Some other guys, I just wanted to – just wanted to – Javian Cohen, he left. He is now at the University of Miami and starts for them. He's not he, – now he may start at Miami – but that doesn't help Alabama. So, in my opinion, that's a miss. It's a miss. He's an in-state kid transferred out. Mario Cristobal got him. That's a miss if he's not helping contribute to you. I know he's starting at Miami. It doesn't really matter if he's not in Tuscaloosa helping you. Damian George, another kid. He is at the University of Florida right now. Putting him on the list. Damian George, transfer out. I don't really know if you can consider that a hit. I don't think you can consider that a hit. I really don't. Moving down, Seth McLaughlin. Uh, I would say it's a hit. He's injured, hadn't played great this year, but his hand, he's the starting center currently. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the hit on that one. I'm going to give you the hit on that one because 
he has played – he started. He's been in and out of the rotation for the past – since going back to the 21 season. So 21, 22, 23. He's been a major contributor in an inconsistent level for three years, but for the sake of the argument. And so I don't look like I'm just totally bullying the offensive line. He's a hit. He's a hit. So we're going to give him that. And that's a wrap for the 2020 class. Let's move to the 2021 class. All right, J.C. Latham, hit. Guy's a potential NFL guy, currently starts at right tackle for the Tide. He's had some highlights so far this year. His ability to finish is really good. I like it. Tommy Brockermeyer, no, sir. No, sir. He, he transferred out. It's a major miss. Never really knew why they took him in the first place. Also, you're about to see his brother down here on the spot, too. Uh, keep moving down here. Terrence Ferguson, rotational guy right now. Wouldn't say that was a total hit, but he's still got two more years. These are the redshirt sophomores here. He played some last week because um, uh, Booker was out. Booker should be back this week. Um, but Terrence Ferguson, rotational guy. So I think he's a little bit of a TBD, if I'm being honest. Don't want to judge him too much. He's still got a couple years to develop within the system. James Brockermeyer, the other one I was talking about, twin brother of Tommy. He's still on the team. Could see him transferring to um, SMU. Sorry if you see me looking down. I'm putting them in my notes. Uh, I could see him transferring to TCU or SMU. They're Dallas kids at heart. As you can see, All Saints Episcopal, Fort Worth. Right now, that's a miss. Jaden Roberts, another rotational guy. May play some next year, but really hadn't seen a lot. Dealt with the kid a little bit in the recruiting process when I was at a couple other schools. Cerebral processing could be an issue for him. I would be shocked if he really turns into a major contributor at some point to the University of Alabama. But moving down here, continuing. All right. So we got – that's the 2021 class. And we'll finally – last class. Now, these are the young cats here. I'm not really going to judge them. It's a little too early to say. These are the kids that would be the redshirt freshmen, sophomores. Again, Tyler Booker, I'm going to say that's going to have to be a hit because he's a good player when he's playing, and he's playing as a young cat. So I'm going to say that's a big hit. Elijah Pritchett, still to be determined, uh, kind of rotational guy. I think he's probably seventh, eighth off the bench right now. And, again, these are young cats still. These are still just young cats going through them. I don't think there's a lot more for me doing the research last night. Let's just make sure rolling through here. Again, I said Tyler Steen. Tyler Steen was a hit. Transfer from – he, he's not on the team now. Got drafted. Um, he was the Vanderbilt transfer. Started at left tackle for Bama last year. That's a hit. Again, Alabama's been good with their transfers. I mean, they hit on Tyler Steen and um, and Landon Dickerson. So let's count that up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right. So we're 17. I'm going to call seven kids a success at a 17 that they have signed – since 2020, the 19, 20, 21. So these are the really, this is the entire offensive line that they have signed that is currently on the team that has transferred out. So let's do it. I mean, we're sitting at 40% hit rate here right now, guys. We're sitting at a 40% hit rate. Make sure the math's good there. Yeah, seven, just, just over 41% hit rate. That, that, that's 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 not good. That's not good, guys. That's that's not good. 
and you throw in, you hadn't had any continuity in the position. Sounds like the strength and conditioning staff doesn't really know what to do with weight-wise. As you, as you probably heard if you kept up with college football at all, Alabama's offensive lines added a bunch of weight. They're bigger than a lot of NFL offensive lines, which oh, it's always – even go back to Brett Bielema's days at Arkansas. That would always get bragged on. And remember Dan Skipper, the left tackle, played at Arkansas. Big dude. Plays in the NFL now. He's not really the greatest example to use. But sometimes that big's not always better. Big is not always better. As you can see, you start putting a little bit of an undersized offensive outside linebacker that South Florida did last week against true freshman Caden Proctor. Alabama's slow and sluggish right now. They're, they're always termed it, they're oozers, just oozing off the ball. Roy to is get a guy that goes underneath it, just way too quick, just way too quick for him, slow-footed. I don't think it was good to add this much weight to some of these guys. Now, again, I'm not a strength coach, not a nutritionist. It's just me saying that from what I can see from a 35,000-foot view of the program right now, it's not good. But, again, also only hitting on the 41% of the kids um, – that you've taken in since so in the 19 recruiting classes is not good either. And then if you wanted to take the transfers out, which I don't think is fair in Landon Dickerson and Tyler Steen, the high school misses are bad. They're bad. But again, just a combination. Too many offensive line coaches within a three-year period. All offensive line coaches look for something different. And I don't care if people are like, well, Nick Saving is the final problem. Yeah, that, that's true. But also, he's trusting his position coaches to determine what they wanted that specific position. The blueprint of from 09 to 2018 when Alabama was taking these kids, they were carbon copies. They had an exact – they had position prototypes, body types they looked for. You could look at Alabama's offensive line for the most part. I mean, yeah, uh, you could tell they had a body. They had a type. These guys are all over the place now. They're all over the place. But, again, I think this is why it's bad right now. I said it last Saturday after the game, and people were like, that's a lazy take. That's just white noise with no data. Well, that's why I went and looked it up. In my opinion, in my grading system, remember, winnable, winnable plus, all league, rare. Under winnable is winnable minus. Alabama should not be playing with winnable minus players. It's just not, it's not the standard. So, again, missed evals with a combination of three offensive line coaches in the last really four years. So you have them all over the place. There's going to be some holes in that ship a little bit. It's going to not everybody's on the same page because we're dealing with human beings, and human human beings are a complicated creature. They all want something different. Again, these offensive line coaches, everyone I've ever been around, all look at different things. But we got to get to some previews. I know you want to start making some money, so we're going to get to the money making Thursday picks. I just wanted to go over this before the biggest. Regular season game Alabama's had in a while, this early in the season, before the month of October started. So, again, if you're watching Alabama's offensive line, and I don't think they're going to play as bad as they did against South Florida. They're getting Tyler Booker back, who didn't play last week, who's the leader of that group. It should be improved. But, again, if you're wondering what the inconsistencies are, it's because, again, you've had three different offensive line coaches in four years. They all look for different things. Therefore, there's a bunch of missed evals. Like, I guarantee you, Eric Wolford, he wouldn't want all those guys that are currently in his room in his room. If he was there the whole time, he wouldn't assign some of those guys. Just the way it goes. But, again, those are some of Alabama's uh, issues right now, just lack of continuity, missed evaluations, and not really sticking to what got you there in the first place between the times of 2009 through 2018. But it's time, guys. It is time to preview some week four action. Speaking of Alabama, let's get right to it. Biggest game of the weekend in the SEC, Alabama versus Ole Miss. 
2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone on CBS, Alabama minus seven. Setting the tone here for you. What a massive opportunity for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. What a massive opportunity. Thought he had him going into the game last year. I mean, I'd heard rumors Lane Kiffin wouldn't even meet with prospects at the end of the game last year because, remember, Alabama came in after losing LSU. The next week they run, rolled into Oxford. Without Bryce Young, Bama probably doesn't win that game last year. I think Lane really thought he had him last year. And I think Lane thinks this is the year he's going to get him. This is his best opportunity. I might say it's his best team at Ole Miss. This will be the worst Alabama team he's faced. You know what? This may be the last time he ever gets a chance to beat Nick Saban because you know what? Alabama's not on the schedule next year, and I don't think they're going to be on the schedule in 25 when the league, when the when Texas and Oklahoma join the league. For a fact, Alabama doesn't play either Mississippi team next year. So they're not playing next year. Divisions are going. Nick Saban could retire the next two or three years. This may be Lane's only opportunity. This may be his last opportunity to beat out to beat Nick Saban. He's 0-4. He sees other assistants starting to beat Nick Saban. I think he wanted to be the first. Obviously, that's out the door. It's running out of opportunities. Uh, if Ole Miss wins this game, though, they can be a true SEC West contender. And not looking ahead, but look who's coming to town next week. I mentioned it earlier in the show. Look who's coming to town next week. LSU. It'll be an SEC West showdown. Can you imagine Oxford College Game Day may be here for that if, if, that, if Ole Miss wins this game? Place will be nuts. Uh, you've seen Lane Kiffin trolling Alabama all week, starting on Sunday. We've talked about the Nick, the Kevin Steele jab with Tavarius Robinson. He's saying it looks like T. Rob's calling it, not Kevin Steele. But we're we're honest on the show. Kevin Steele and Lane Kiffin do not get along. They were on the same staff at Alabama in 2014. To say they don't get along is probably keeping it nice. They can't stand each other. And from what I've heard from people. Kevin Steele and the Alabama staff's not real happy with the way Lane has been handling this week in regards to that stuff. Apparently the question was planted for him to respond to that about Kevin Steele not calling the defense anymore. I mean, Lane's a troll. I mean, Lane being Lane, he's a troll. It's what it is. Uh, a lot of familiarity between these two staffs. Just mentioned it. I mean, not besides Lane Kiffin, you have offense coordinator Charlie Weiss Jr. has been at Alabama. And safeties coach Wes Neighbors. Uh, he's been there. Then, obviously, Pete Golden, defensive coordinator, has been there as well. West Neighbors also played at Alabama. A lot of familiarity with Alabama, and especially the defense. Um, <clears throat> for Alabama, it's about as must-win of a situation that you could have probably since probably the 2015 Georgia game in Athens where Alabama came out. and I was at Georgia that year and just totally beat the crap out of Georgia from start to finish. Uh, but one of the bigger regular season games for Alabama in a while, very early in the season to be talking about a must-win situation, but I think it is. Jalen Milrow, officially the guy Nick Saban announced. But that means if you're Tommy Reese, you have to start building the office to finish strength. I think if you don't have at least seven to ten design quarterback runs, you're doing the offense a disservice. I know you want to do what you want to do. And to be fair to Tommy Reese, but Ian Book, and even with Tyler Buckner a little bit at Notre Dame last year, he, he's for some quarterback design runs. But you got to fit it in there. The offense has to get on the same page, Co coaches included. They all have to be on the same page to play to their players' strengths. Maybe not be what you want to do, but I think this offense can be serviceable enough if they adjust it a little bit. And, again, I'm not saying wholesale changes, but maybe more quick game. Get it out quick. Offensive line struggling to protect. Screens. Spread the field out. Go empty. Spread the field out. Let Jalen Milrow go make some plays with his leg. Uh, obviously, I mentioned some design quarterback runs. But Tommy Reese has to incorporate the quarterback in the run game. I'm adamant about that. Uh, this game's going to come down to strength versus strength and weakness versus – or supposed weakness versus weakness. I think it's going to come down – obviously, you got Ole Miss's offense, which is their strength, versus Alabama's defense, which is Bama's strength. 
You got Ole Miss's defense, which is probably a weakness, versus Alabama's weakness, which is their offense. Um, the Alabama defense, I think, has been really good so far outside of the fourth quarter of the Texas game. I do expect them to come out a little pissed off the Alabama defense. If you know Kevin Steele, you know he's a player's coach. And those players love playing for him. When I was at Auburn with him, you could tell he had a real relationship with those players. If you don't think that's gotten back to his team this week about the Lane Kiffin comments and stuff, Look, you're really wrong. I think people are going to be surprised how much Alabama did take that personally. Uh, their DC, like I said, just got called out in the media by the opposing head coach. That doesn't light a fire under your tail. I don't know what will. Uh, not saying Ole Miss won't get theirs at some point on offense. They will. Lane Kiffin knows all the holes in this defense. Pete Golden used to call it. Wes Neighbors used to play in it. Charlie Weiss used to be there. Charlie Weiss Jr. They have familiarity. They're going to have Ole Miss is going to have their shots. They're going to score their points. Uh, but again, to be fair to Ole Miss, Ole Miss just came out of the half. I mean, they've started off slow. They've came out offensively and just doubled. I'm looking at the stat right now. Doubling their first half totals in two of their first three games, Mercer being the only one they haven't. I mean, what, they have 10 points against Tulane in the first half. Was it 10 against Georgia Tech in the first half? And they came out and doubled both times. They're making second-half adjustments. Uh, some may say illegally. We're not going to get into that, though. But uh, they made their second-half adjustments and came out firing – but let's get to it. Where's this game going to be won? You may have saw me post the graphic. It's going to be Alabama's offensive tackles and extra blockers. And when I say extra blockers, running backs and tight ends versus Ole Miss's edge defenders. So Alabama's offensive tackles, extra blockers versus Ole Miss's edge defenders. I'm guessing Bama's going to play to J- Jalen Milrow's strength. They're not going to go with the five-step drop game, keep him in the pocket. That's not his strength. They have to adjust. They, they just have to. Uh, you have to utilize your best weapon and use his legs and design run games. I think Ole Miss – Ole Miss can struggle in the read option game. I'm telling you, you got to attack guys like Cedric Johnson on the edge, though. Georgia Tech did it a little bit. He's a little bit of pitter patty. Patty has some ankle stiffness. I think you can take advantage of Cedric Johnson on the edge. I really do. You watch him for Georgia Tech, and it's there. It's there for the taking. He looks a little bit of fish out of water. For people who don't really know what I'm talking about, it's the best analogy I could use. If schemed around, I promise you it'll be there. But what you cannot do if you're Alabama is get penalties on fourth down and get into second, third, and long situations. Winning first down is going to be critical, really, on both sides of the ball if Alabama wants to win this game. They got to get Ole Miss in long situations and they got to stay ahead of the chains. Predictions. Our prediction. Don't really feel really confident either way in this. You you could draw up a lot of scenarios. I probably believe you. I could see Alabama winning in a close one. I could see Ole Miss winning in a close one. I could see Alabama covering the spread. I could see Ole Miss pulling away in the fourth quarter, kind of like Texas did. It wouldn't shock me. It's it's the least confident game I'm in in the whole SEC slate this week. But I still have some questions, though, with the Ole Miss defense. I do not think they're fully healthy on offense either. Quinshawn Judkins has bruised ribs. He's not 100%. Trey Harris. I think we'll play, but he's just kind of starting to get back into practice. Zakari Franklin, the UTSA transfer receiver, was in a black jersey just standing around. I don't know if he walks into the stadium in his first game at Brighton Mini Stadium and just starts balling out. And then Caden Priestcorn, I thought he was the best tight end out of the transfer portal from Memphis. He's just starting to practice. Those All four of those guys are not going to be 100%. We know Quinchon Judkins has bruised ribs. So Ole Miss won't be 100% rolling in this one. Also, the Ole Miss offensive line has not been particularly great. It was dominated by Tulane two weeks ago up front. But, again, if Alabama can't put it together offensively to just even be an average unit, I do not see them winning this game. Ole Miss, like I've mentioned, is going to get theirs on offense at some point. But something tells me, something tells me you aren't going to see the same Alabama team offensively that you saw in Tampa last week. They're not playing the same quarterback. 
and they get their best offensive lineman, their leader back. Not saying that this is going to be the 1972 Miami Dolphins offensive line here. But for you to tell me they getting their leader, their best offensive lineman back isn't a big deal, and they're not even playing. They're going to be starting a quarterback that didn't even play last week. That matters. But, hell, the starting quarterback, like I said, is guaranteed to be different. Will he be the greatest show in turf, or will the offense be on the greatest show in turf? No. Not even close, but I think a few tweaks, added wrinkles, this can be a serviceable unit that can suffice and kind of ride the coattails of a defensive unit. But just to put it simply, if the Alabama team that played the first seven quarters of the season shows up on Saturday, I think Alabama wins at home. If the Alabama team that showed up the past five quarters from the fourth quarter of the Texas game through the South Florida game shows up, I think Ole Miss wins this, and it could be by double digits. My prediction, again, not overly confident in this one. I think Bama comes back with an edge, a little pissed off, got their best offensive lineman back, got their best option at quarterback in this game. I think the offense is a little bit better than you think. I think we're not talking about Ole Miss's defense being a weakness like people. I think people are more focused on what Alabama can't do more so than what Ole Miss can't do. Give me Alabama 31-23. to Barely cover. Don't feel confident about that. Just a gut feeling. But give me the tie, 31-23. Moving to the next one. Arkansas at LSU, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone on ESPN. LSU is currently favored by 17 and a half. LSU looks to ride in that momentum from a complete beatdown last week in Startville. Uh, it was a combination of LSU probably looking like the best team in the country that day, could have beat anyone. Mississippi State having some glaring weaknesses in personnel and scheme that LSU took advantage of. <clears throat> Arkansas rolls into this one after a tough home loss to BYU last week. I'm not here to sugarcoat things. That was not a loss Sam Pittman could afford, especially with what's on the horizon schedule-wise. I mean, they're not back in Fayetteville for another month. They go to LSU this week, A&M in Arlington, at Ole Miss, and then a trip to Tuscaloosa. BYU loss is going to be a tough one to swallow. But focusing on this matchup Saturday night in Baton Rouge, Arkansas has better personnel on defense, especially in the back end right now than Mississippi State does. And it's a lot more aggressive in their style with new defensive coordinator from Tra Travis Williams. They play with their hair on fire like I said they would with him. little undisciplined, don't fill their gaps, fill their lanes well, but they play hard. You play hard. Um, this should be more of a challenge for the LSU offense than it was just because they out-athleted Mississippi State on Saturday last week for the entire 60 minutes. Also, LSU will get tied in Mason Taylor back. He did not play in Starkville last week. Um, however, I will say this. I said Arkansas has better athletes in the back end. I still think LSU, they line up Malik Neighbors in the slot. They're going to have a matchup advantage on the inside because I do not think Lorando Johnson, the nickelback for Arkansas after watching the game against UAB, or sorry, BYU, he, he can't cover Malik Neighbors on a uh, slot fade. Most, most can't, but – there's a matchup there. If I think LSU, think you could see bombs over Baghdad again on that one. Um, but if you're Arkansas and Travis Williams, do you let your best corner, Dwight McLaughlin, who used to play at LSU as a transfer, does he travel and just go? Does he cover just wherever Malik Neighbors goes? It's a question for Travis Williams. We'll find out Saturday. On the flip side, Arkansas is struggling to protect KJ Jefferson this year so far. Seven sacks through three games. Also, I personally think Rocket, Rocket Sanders, their running back, best running back meniscus tear I don't think he'll be around but this brings me to where this will be one it's going to be one LSU's front seven against Arkansas's offensive line look you can blame injuries development coaching misty valves 
isn't that a common thing we're talking about today? Missed evals, development on the offensive line. But Arkansas's offensive line is not very good this year. And I know Sam Pittman's an offensive line guy. He used to be the offensive line coach at Georgia for the people that have been living under a rock. I know that's surprising. I just don't see anything changing this week, especially when it looks like LSU has learned, again, how to utilize Harold Perkins to rush the passer after the week one debacle against Florida State. And he isn't the only one that can be disruptive. I mean, Makai Wingo has been the best defensive lineman in the entire SEC through three weeks and ain't been close. Number 18, if you're missing him, guy's a wrecking ball. It's not Mason Smith. It's Makai Wingo. Uh, Mason Smith, though, been very disruptive in the passing game. I think you can run at him, though. But in the passing game, he's been disruptive. Throw on Throwing Savian Jones on the outside, you got a very formidable group up front if you're LSU. Uh, if Rocket Sanders does not play, Arkansas still has to be able to establish some kind of run game, either with KJ Jefferson or AJ Green in the backfield. You just you drop back and pass. I, with Arkansas's offensive line trouble, you're going to get KJ Jefferson killed. Uh, I still think LSU holes in the secondary. I don't really think I didn't really feel any like I mentioned on Monday show any better or worse after their Mississippi State game because I don't think State really even attacked it. But I do not think KJ Jefferson will get enough time to really take advantage of it. If he does. May have a chance. Uh, Arkansas does have some guys on the outside, but I – sorry. Does Arkansas have the guys on the outside to go win one-on-one situations? And they got some guys they brought up from the FCS level. Isaac Tesla, solid guy. Andrew Armstrong, solid guy. Isaiah Sectigna, solid guy. Uh, solid receivers all the way around, but no difference makers that – I think just can – you're like, yeah. Like, like Xavier Legat, Malik Neighbors. Um Evan Stewart, I know I'm naming elite guys, but that's what it takes on offense these days. you got to have receivers that can go win one-on-one situations. I don't think they have that. They brought some FCS-level guys. I think it could translate over. I mean, Isaiah Sictino on special teams is awesome. Straight line, speed guy, track guy, speedster, but I don't know if he's just going to go beat you consistently. Uh, and I, They just don't have a guy that keeps defensive coordinators up all night when they're game planning. But let's get to it. Prediction. Look. Arkansas was the better team last week against BYU. They were. If they played again, they'd win that game. But 14 penalties at home or really any game just cannot happen or you will lose every football game nine times out of ten. Uh, I do think Arkansas plays with some energy early and looks good for about a half, maybe even into the middle of the third quarter. It would not shock me. But Arkansas and the offensive line is banged up right now and it doesn't look good up front right now. Sam Pittman and offensive line coach Cody Kennedy have to be – experimenting with all kinds of different combinations on that offensive line front this pat this week. But, but give me LSU defensive coordinator Madhouse at home to make life miserable in the Hogs on Saturday night in Baton Rouge, at least by the second half. Add in, I think LSU is going to have more opportunities to pick up where they left off from an explosive standpoint in the passing game because I, I think Malik Neighbors still has a miss, uh, matchup advantage against Arkansas's nickelback, Lorando Johnson. But, again, it's just going to depend. Does Travis Williams decide to let Dwight McLaughlin travel with Malik Neighbors. See, let him travel around wherever Malik Neighbors lines up. But again, I expect LSU to have some explosive plays downfield. LSU separates in the second half. Give me LSU 34-17. Give me LSU 34-17 in this one. Heading to College Station. Auburn at Texas A&M. 11 a.m. Central Standard Time Zone on ESPN. Setting the tone here for you. Has there been a head coach all year that has just tried to temper his fans' expectations like Hugh Freeze? I don't have the quote in front of me, but I mean, he's essentially said, hey, guys, like we haven't recruited like our last three, our next three opponents. We haven't recruited like Texas A&M, Georgia, or LSU. So, I mean, he didn't say we're going to lose, but it's almost like he was setting the tone for Auburn fans. I mean, the exact opposite of what Lane Kiffin's doing at Ole Miss this week. 
I think he knows Auburn's banged up, Hugh Freeze does, and this roster was just a complete overhaul. This is a patchwork roster right now. <clears throat> Let's call a spade a spade. This would be a massive win for Auburn if they can go into Kyle Field and get a win. Massive. Again, Auburn beat up right now. They have a grueling stretch just like Arkansas coming up. A&M this week, Georgia at home, at LSU and, and Ole Miss at home. That's tough. You can make an argument those are the four best teams in the league right now. The pressure is all on A&M, though. Flipping the side, let's flip the page to A&M here. Pressure's all on A&M. This is a must-win for Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. And I, and I think you they should expect to look good doing it. A&M is getting Auburn at the perfect time right now. A Auburn's still kind of figuring out their kinks. I know Auburn went and got a big road win against Cal, and I said they just needed to survive that game. But it wasn't pretty. And anyone who tells you who does probably sleeps in orange and blue pajamas every night. It's just the way it is. We're call, again, we call it, we keep it real. We call a spade a spade on the show. It was a win, but it was an ugly win. A&M's better than Auburn right now. I also think A&M knows their strengths and weaknesses a little bit better after losing to Miami. I think they know what can hurt them. I think they kind of expect – I think they know what to expect from Hugh Freeze here. Again, A&M better on paper than Auburn, but Auburn should be really aggressive in this early Saturday afternoon matchup where this game will be won. Texas A&M's offensive line versus Auburn's defensive line. Look, A&M's offensive line has struggled an extent to protect at times. There were some hits against Miami. I thought Connor Weeman wouldn't have got off the turf. I thought I thought he would. I thought he got cut clean in half at times. But a guy to keep an eye on here from an Auburn standpoint: transfer from App State, Jalen McLeod. If he's healthy, A&M fans may remember this guy from App State had about two sacks. I think three tackles for loss last year for App State. Remember, App State beat Texas A&M. This was their best edge rusher. We had a big day against AM last year. He's now on Auburn's team. He's banged up a little bit. But I think for Auburn to win this game, they're going to have to get some turnovers, create some havoc, make Connor Weeman feel uncomfortable. Defensive coordinator for Auburn, Ron Roberts, likes to bring pressure in about, I was looking it up, 50% of the time he likes to bring it. So he's a high-pressure guy. So Weeman, Connor Weeman needs to make sure his protections are right. He needs to get his protections correct, slide into them properly, get the ball out quickly to areas that are vacated by the blitzers. Because Ron Roberts coming, Auburn and their staff smart enough. They know they're going to create some turnovers, win the turnover battle on Saturday to have an opportunity. If the AM offensive line can hold up and Connor Weeman can escape some of the pressure at times, AM should have a big day offensively. Prediction. Look, Auburn's going to come out aggressive offensively and defensively in this one. They almost have to to have a chance. And I think they know that. Offensively, they need to get the ball out quickly. And challenge that AM secondary. See if they can tackle in space. They showed it two weeks ago in Miami. They couldn't. We'll see if they can do it again. Also, Auburn, you have to establish some kind of respectable running game, which I think is going to be tough because the AM front seven, the run game, the run defense that was so poor last year has looked improved so far. Um, turnovers. Again, Auburn is going to have to start not only forcing them, but limited. I mean, what they have four turnovers against Cal, had three last week against Sanford. That has to stop. They, they'll get run out of the stadium. Defensively, Auburn going to bring the pressure. So it will come down to how well AM, like I mentioned, where it's going to be one, picks up the pressures and can Connor Wiegman get the ball to the vacated area of the Blitzers. I think this game could be close at half, but Texas AM runs and hides in the second half, gets a double digit conference win to get to 1 0. And I think they do it looking pretty good. I think they look pretty good doing it in a must-have situation for this 2023 Texas A&M team. Give me the Aggies, 34-17. Big opening win for Texas A&M. That'd be big. They got to look good doing it. They got to look good doing it, and it's a must-win overall. Next, Mississippi State at South Carolina, 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone. 
SEC Network. South Carolina minus six and a half heading into this one. Setting the tone for you here. Both teams rolling in off losses. South Carolina probably feels a little bit better about themselves. South Carolina took a tough loss to Georgia where they competed, had a great game plan in the first half. They were up 14-3 to three at half. Mississippi State, we talked about them. Mississippi State coming off a horrific loss at home, just a terrible performance against LSU at home. Both teams need this one. But I think South Carolina and Shane Beamer being at home need it more. Uh, you need to ride the momentum that you got from the Georgia game because you played well at it. You could take some things away that you did well. I uh, hate to say it's a must-win for South Carolina this weekend, but it is. It just is. If they want to get to seven, eight wins this year, you got to have this one because you got Tennessee and Florida, and Florida looks much improved after that Utah game. So that's going to be tougher. And at Tennessee, in Neyland, those people, they're going to be wanting revenge after what you did to them last year. For Mississippi State and Zach Arnett, offense just looks completely out of sorts. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, they don't look like – they can't tell if they want to be a spread offense still or a pistol get under center. And I know it, it's not as simple as that. I know they kind of – they probably have some identity, but that's what it looks like from 35,000 feet view. That's what it looks like. There's no other way to say it. The defense on the back end, though, for Mississippi State has its own issues. But if they can't decide who they want to be offensively, it's going to be a very long season in Starkville. Where this game will be won, can Spencer Rattler and Dow Logan, the offensive coordinator for South Carolina, who I thought called a great game the other night uh, for – South Carolina, can they be patient enough to take the underneath throws that Mississippi State's defense will give them? This is a game that Spencer Rattler and O.C. Dow Logan just need to keep it simple. Two plus two equals four type stuff, guys. Zach Arnett and defensive coordinator for Mississippi State, Matt Brock, they're willing to give up the underneath throws. I mean, go watch the film. Look how far back Mississippi State's inside backers, Nathaniel Watson and Jet Johnson. They drop back about 15 yards. I mean, I watched the, Mississippi, the LSU film, and as good as Jaden Daniels looked, I mean, he looked like freaking – I mean, Larry Bird in a three-point contest in the 80s the other day, baby. He was just dropping them into the bucket to Malik Neighbors. Uh, but even as good as he was, he still missed some stuff underneath that Mississippi State was willing to give up. Eight-yard throws that he, they could have ran and got 10 more yards for an 18-yard game. But Dow Logans and Spencer Rattler just have to be patient. Have to be patient because they're going to give you the underneath throws. They just assume, Mississippi State and Zach Arnett, just assume you're not going to be patient enough to take what the defense gives you. That's the problems with offenses all around college football right now. It's an issue. It's an epidemic. They, they're not taking what the offenses are giving them. You look at any offense, Alabama, LSU, while they're having some success at times, they're like, there's some simple plays out to the flat where you just go take an 8- to 10-yard play. But these guys are trying to go get these 15-, 20-yard explosive plays. That's just what I've been noticing. Again, I love Dow Logan's game plan last week. I know they lost, but with the lack of run game that the Gamecocks had with a poor offensive line and personnel, he's a bit handicapped in what he could call, but I thought he did a good job. He did the best he could with what he had right now. Spencer Rattler is low-key been a top-three quarterback in the SEC right now. I know they're one and two, but he's played really well. He's played really well. No running backs. Uh, offensive line's bad. Give Spencer Rattler credit. Uh, if, Spencer, if South Carolina can be patient in the first half, adjust to what is needed in the second half. I think they will score enough points at home to get their first SEC win of the season at home. Prediction, the atmosphere should be fun at Williams-Brice Stadium on Saturday night. Willie B should be fun. This team is coming back after losing a game to a superior team in Georgia, but they have to take this momentum and continue to build off of it. If South Carolina stays the course on offense, limits penalties and turnovers, I just don't see how Mississippi State wins this game this weekend. The state offense is just isn't just going to magically flip a switch, find itself in its first road game of the season at night in Columbia. There, there, it's just not. It, it just sounds like a Disney movie. I just don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I, 
I know it's a stretch, and South Carolina is the classic example of not being consistent, but give me Spencer Rattler, Dow Logan's the offensive coordinator, and the South Carolina defensive line that played really well between Tonka Hemingway, TJ Sanders played out of his mind. I think they I think the team builds off last week's performance, even in a loss. But there's a lot of good things you could take for from it to get one of the much more needed wins in the Shane Beamer era. I'm not saying it's a must win, but man, if they want to get seven, eight wins and prove this is a must win at home. You gotta win this game. Give me the game, Cox, pulling away in the second half. And also, second half adjustments are gonna be big. South Carolina has not played well in the second half so far against North Carolina and obviously against Georgia. So second half adjustments will be key. Along with taking what as long as as well as Spencer Rattler and Dow Loggins taking what Mississippi State's defense giving them the underneath stuff. Give me South Carolina at home, thirty-one to fourteen. And then finally, the last one we'll definitely preview for getting to the rest of the league: Kentucky at Vanderbilt, eleven a.m. Central Standard Time Zone kickoff, SEC Network. Kentucky currently favored by thirteen and a half, and I like it. Setting the tone. Things are not great on the west side of Nashville right now, Bandy. Two and two. Bowl game seems about as far away as the moon does right now. Bandy just reeling right now, and there seems to be some frustration around the program. Took a tough loss to UNLV this past week. Needed to get a win against Wake Forest a week before. They needed to split that Wake and UNLV game, like I was saying, to hit the three and a half over that I had for them on the season. I don't feel good about that anymore. Bowl game, just distant shot. Uh, but you sense this after the Hawaii game. There could be some trouble this year for Clark Lee as he headed into his third season. They need to finish four and four in conference, 500 in conference to make a bowl. I just do not see that happening. I actually like Vanderbilt going into the season, but the secondary is just so poor. But flipping the side of Kentucky, Kentucky rolls in 3-0, and but it hasn't always looked pretty. Ask Mark Stoops, that does not look pretty against lesser competition. I mean, they played Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, and Akron, and they've had their struggles. But the Cats – I think they're going to come in with a chip on their shoulder heading into conference play against Vanderbilt. That's a team that Vanderbilt beat them last year in Lexington. Also, just so you know, the running back that beat Kentucky last year went for 120 yards and a score last year, Ray Davis. He's now Kentucky starting running back. So Kentucky, this isn't just a typical Vanderbilt game. I think Mark Stoops and this team come in a little pissed off with a chip on their shoulder because they took a loss to him last year. Where this game will be won, it's going to be Devin Leary and Kentucky's receivers against that porous Vandy secondary Vanderbilt, if you haven't watched, Vanderbilt secondary is really bad. There's no way to sugarcoat it. This will be the best group they've seen by far. This will be the best wide receiver group Vanderbilt's seen by far. And let's make it simple. I don't think it's going to be an improved in a week, just like I don't think the Mississippi State offense is going to be improved in a week. And this Vanderbilt offense secondary is not going to get not going to improve in a week against the best opponent and the best quarterback they've seen all year. Because it's a good Kentucky wide receiver group. Could be the best Kentucky's wide receiver group they've ever had. I mean, Vanderbilt was I mean, was trying to stop UNLV last week in kind of a cover eight, prevent defense, just to try to get to overtime and let someone get behind them. I mean, usually for Vanderbilt, go watch the Wake Forest game. It was either pass interference on Wake Forest's receivers or it was a explosive play. I mean, Vanderbilt's secondary is maybe the worst secondary in the SEC I've ever seen. It's bad. But – this is probably the easiest matchup where it'll be won all week. Kentucky's receivers and Devin Leary are just a lot better than Vandy's secondary. New OC Liam Cohen, after a stint with the Rams last year, he was the OC for Kentucky in 2021. He likes to take more explosive shots downfield, whereas OC last year, Rich Kangarello, liked to get the ball out quick, off screens and stuff. 
Kentucky's going to have a big day. It's going to be bombs over Baghdad there. If you don't believe me that this is a total mismatch advantage for Kentucky, please go turn on the Vandy defensive tape from Hawaii, Wake Forest, and UNLV. And then factor in this is the best unit they've seen all year. Prediction. Kentucky started slow this season, but I could see things changing this week. Kentucky has a reason not to look ahead to their next two matchups against Florida next week and at Georgia because Vandy beat them last year. If you don't think Mark Stoops has hit that home this week, I don't think you know Mark Stoops. And again, Vandy, not in a good place right now. Their defensive coordinator deactivated his Twitter, whatever that means. Their best receiver, Will Shepard, is tweeting out cryptic stuff. It's not good on the west side right now. Uh, And I think Kentucky knows their complete game is still out there. They want to go prove that against the team beat them last year. I think this is a get-right game for Kentucky before the bullets really start to fire. I think Kentucky comes out hot, plays their best game of the season so far. Heading into week four, Cats big. Give me Kentucky 42-10. to I like the Cats a lot in this one. But the rest of the SEC, let's share it with you. Rest of the SEC games we hadn't gone over yet. UTSA at Tennessee. I think Tennessee right now is favored by 21 and a half. Game probably isn't as fired up as it probably thought it would be heading into the season. Tennessee should take care of business, should be able to work out some kinks. They got to get the penalties in order, though. They got to kind of get their tempo back. They lost a little bit of their edge last week in Gainesville. Keep an eye on that. Charlotte at Florida. Florida's got to keep the momentum rolling here. They got it. Florida's got to keep the momentum rolling here. Florida favored by 28 in this one. Charlotte rolls in one and two. New head coach Biff Pogie took a loss to Maryland and Georgia State. So Charlotte, first-year staff, not as good of a team. Florida should handle this one. Uh, UAB heading to Georgia. Last I checked, I think UAB was getting 41-and-a-half. Trent Dilfer and the boys rolling in here. Uh, Georgia should handle this one at home. Just keep seeing how this offense has worked out. So UAB's not a total walkover. Georgia struggled with worse teams earlier in the season. But UAB rolling in one and two. Memphis at Missouri. Missouri better watch out. Brady Cook's out. They're starting quarterback. Memphis is getting eight now. I think it's down to six, six and a half now. I like – I'm going to tell you my money-making Thursday pick already. I'm going to take Memphis in the plus eight. I'm going to say they're going to win this game. This game – remember, this game's in St. Louis, old uh, Ram Stadium. Give me a uh, – I kind of like this game to be close, especially with Brady Cook out. Missouri coming off the best win of the Eli Drinkowitz era. They get into conference play next week. Granted, Vanderbilt. But this could be a game they sleepwalk in because it's a weird pleasure. It's kind of a home game, kind of not. But it is in St. Louis. you got to travel. You're coming off the biggest win you've had in a while. Biggest win any of these players or coaches have had at Missouri. Kind of a sleepy game. Memphis rolls in undefeated. I like Memphis plus eight here. That's the rest of the SEC slate uh, across the conference. Heading back here before we wrap up this episode. And you know what? Time before we get you out of here, baby. It's money-making Thursday bets. 14 bets. I'm going big. I usually go seven. We're doubling it because it's the best weekend in college football. So I'm going to give that to you. We're at 40% of the season the season right now. 40% on the season. Hey, this is where we start clicking, baby. Week four. We start clicking. We got more film. We got more information. This is where we start clicking. But let's get into it. You didn't hear it to pay me. to. I, we're more about action here. But I'm going to give it to you right now. Leading off, Texas A&M minus six and a half against Auburn. Give me the Aggies to cover here at home. I like the Aggies big. South Carolina minus six and a half against Mississippi State. I'll ultimately like them to cover. May take the second half, but I like South Carolina minus six and a half here. Big game for Shane Beamer and the boys. Kentucky, I just don't like where things are at, though, the West End and Nashville right now. I don't like where Vanderbilt is. I think the biggest mismatch in the SEC this week is Kentucky's wide receivers against Vanderbilt's secondary. 
Kentucky going to be pissed off about their loss to Vanderbilt last year. They're going to avenge that, get right game easily. Kentucky covers this minus 13 and a half. Getting out of the SEC here. Oregon minus 21 at home against Colorado. I love this. Travis Hunter's out for Colorado. Dion's not talking as much. There's not as much make it personal this week, even though Dan Lanning talked a lot during the summer. I think just Dion doesn't feel real confident in this one. I like Oregon big here. Maybe not early, but I think the Oilers will be covered here in the second half. Middle Tennessee State, I like a minus two and a half. Colorado State makes the cross-country road trip to Tennessee after the emotional game overtime loss to Oregon last to Colorado last week. Sorry. Middle Tennessee State, an aggressive team. They're not scared. Beat Miami last week. Aggressive defense. Played Missouri well. Played Alabama already. Give me give me the Blue Raiders minus two and a half at home. I, I think Colorado State may come in sleepwalking into this one. Already told you, Memphis plus eight. Give me Memphis here. I think it's a weird game for Missouri. Biggest win of any of the players, coaches on staff. Their starting quarterback, Brady Cook's out. It's technically a road game. They're going to St. Louis. I think Memphis comes in undefeated with a little bit of an edge. Not ready to say. I think Missouri wins a close one. A close one, but I, I'm going to take the points here with Memphis. Washington State getting three against Oregon State in the Pac-12 at night matchup, give, after dark matchup. Give me give me, give me, me Washington State here. Give me the points. I think it's a close matchup, contradicting styles, but I'll take the points here. Southern Miss, minus six against Arkansas State. Really taking this because Arkansas State is a terrible football team. Not real sold on Southern Miss either with their quarterback issues, but Arkansas State's a bad team. Southern Miss should beat this team by more than a touchdown. Give me the Golden Eagles in Jones Brothers this week. James Madison could be maybe the best team in the Sun Belt this year. Minus six and a half against a bad Utah State team is one and two. Give me James Madison, baby. Minus six and a half. I feel confident about this one. Speaking of the Sun Belt, give me the South Alabama Jaguars coming off a massive win against Oklahoma State last week in Stillwater. Just physically dominated the Cowboys. Minus 15 at home back in Mobile against a bad Central Michigan team. Give me South to cover. Give me South to cover. That came Womack and the boys don't let he doesn't let those boys sleepwalk in this one. Give me the minus 15. Oklahoma. I think they're better than people are thinking. Oklahoma minus 14 and a half in the Big 12 opener at Cincinnati. I do not think Cincinnati's a very good football team this year. I do like Oklahoma minus 14 and a half. Only thing that kind of scares me here is Dylan Gabriel struggled at Cincinnati when he's at UCF. Now he has other better personnel groupings around him now, but that's the only thing that keeps me up at night with this bet. But I think Oklahoma. Jeff Levy, Brent Venables, and the boys, Dylan Gabriel, they come out fire, and I think they cover 14 and a half at Cincinnati in the Big 12 opener. Then we're getting into some first-half bets, over-unders. Give me Louisville, minus seven and a half in the first half against a bad Boston College team. I know Boston College could have beat Florida State last week. They only lost by two, but it was the red bandana game. A tropical storm was in the area. I don't think they matched that performance. I think Louisville comes out hot, starts off early. Give me Jeff Brom and the Brom squad. Louisville, minus seven and a half in the first half. And Miami, random game, random game. Give me Miami minus 11 and a half in the first half at Temple. Who scheduled this game? Do not have a clue. Maybe it was Al Golden a long time ago, Manny Diaz. I, I, I don't know. It's a random game. They're heading to the link to play at Temple. But give me Miami in the first half. I think Miami, don't be surprised if you see Miami and Charlotte in the first week of December playing in the ACC championship game. We may, we may finally get that first Florida State-Miami ACC championship game when they both – or when Miami went to the ACC that we thought we'd get all the time. Maybe we finally get it. But give me Miami big in the first half, minus 11.5 in Philly against Temple. And then finally, the 14th bet, over-under, Clemson-Florida State, 11 a.m. kickoff. It's a big one at Clemson. Give me the under 55. 
I think both defenses play well. I think it's going to be a low-scoring, close, down-to-the-wire game. Everybody's taking Florida State, what, in the minus one-and-a-half, two-and-a-half. That's a weird feel to the Kansas State-Missouri game last week where everybody was like, oh, K-State's – I mean, uh, Missouri's only getting four-and-a-half. K-State's only favored by four-and-a-half. Oh, they're easily going to cover. It kind of has that feel to it, too. Florida State did not look good last week. Jordan Travis a little banged up. I almost lean taking Clemson in this one, but I'm going to take the under because I think it's going to be a defensive slugfest. There you go. My four picks, man. There it is. Rolling right through it one more time for you. Texas A&M minus six and a half. South Carolina minus six and a half. Kentucky minus 13 and a half. Oregon minus 21. Middle Tennessee State minus two and a half. One of my two dogs I'm taking. Memphis plus eight. Washington State plus three. Southern Miss minus six. James Madison minus six and a half. South Alabama minus 15. Oklahoma minus 14 and a half. Louisville minus seven and a half in the first half. Miami minus 11 and a half in the first half and Clemson, Florida State under 55. Well, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of Mocking Sports. We covered a lot. We covered on why Alabama has been inconsistent on the offensive line. Uh, we have also covered all five of the big games in conference play. Alabama Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Auburn, LSU, Arkansas, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. We talked about the rest of the games, too, uh, in the conference, in the non-conference slate. Uh, we also uh, gave you my money-making Thursday bets, my weekend bets. I'll put that graphic out for you here tomorrow afternoon. But, again, as you know, Thursday, we get right to the point. Brought in the Alabama feature. Thought y'all would enjoy that. But, again, this is Elimination Saturday. We got a lot of big games. We're going to have a real feel for how the SEC still early, but we'll have a real feel of how we think this could shape up as we head into the month of October. But, again, guys, just enjoy the college football season, guys. It'll be over before we blink. But, again, week four, best weekend we've had so far throughout the college football season. It should be a fun one. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mock 10 Sports. You have a fantastic weekend. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.